What value does VRT bring to cereal cropping in the Millawa? In this podcast, we catch up with Andy Marwood to hear about some test strips Andy has set up at Carwat this year. We're joined by local agronomist Peter Baird and Saudi researcher Blake Gontar, who offer their perspectives on the season to date and what seed and fertiliser inputs are looking best this year. Take a listen. Thanks everyone for joining us in the paddock. This project is part of the GRDC's National RiskWise initiative, which is all about farmer decision-making and risks and rewards. We're out and about in the Millawa today, down near Carwap. We're with Andy Marwood and Blake Gontar from Sardi. How are you going, Blake? Good, Nick. Thanks for having me. You're seeing any root diseases out here, Blake? I know you've been doing research on Rhizoctonia recently. Yeah, so we've come to this paddock to have a look and in general the paddock is looking quite clean. This is a pretty good example of a well-managed paddock for Rhizoctonia. We can find it. So it's here and the pre-sowing predictor B test that was done demonstrated very low levels. In fact, I think we had a nil detect in this part of the paddock. So we're not expecting to see a huge amount of Rhizoctonia. We can find it here at very low levels, but not at anything I would expect to be a yield constraint. So that's good news. And does that line up with what you've seen over the last few years, Andy? I'm hoping so, yeah. I think it's pretty right. We haven't really noticed any major diseases. One of the things Blake was telling us about yesterday is his recent research on the impact of seeding systems on Rhizo. Can you tell us a bit about that, Blake? One of the developments over the last 10 or 15 years has been the development of liquid systems for managing rhizoctonia. These were developed in tine systems, so this is looking at a split application of a product like uniform fungicide or Evergol. And the idea is to get some fungicide down below the seed to protect the emerging seminal roots and some fungicide on the surface to protect crown roots as they develop later. This has been taken up to an extent in tine systems, but with guys now looking at uh, disc systems with stripper fronts to manage erosion problems, we can see that rhizo might come back in that kind of a seeding system. And Michael Moody of uh, Frontier Farming is looking at whether that split application of fungicide could be adopted or adapted into a, a disc system as well. Yeah, fascinating. I know a few eyes widened yesterday when you were showing them the rhizoctonia that you saw down at Menangatang. So that one might have been a bit of a sleeper down there for a while. Yeah, so one of the big changes that's happened in farming systems in general is that seeding or sowing times have moved forward. So that actually brings the sowing of a crop or the the development of the crop outside of the prime time for rhizoctonia. So crops establish really well in warm, moist soil rhizoctonia is not very active in warm moist soil so everything looks really good and then we get into june july soil temperature drops and typically we're looking at below 12 to 15 degrees that's when rhizoctonia becomes much more active especially if it's dry if we get a dry spell after seeding and it's cold rhizo is going to love it so we've got good crop establishment no big bare patches we're going pretty well Uh, but then we're going to start to see rhizo move into those crown roots. So as the crop starts to tiller, we get crown roots at surface level, rhizo is going to impact them. So whilst we don't get huge bare patches, we have no trouble finding quite severe rhizo in those crown roots. 
um, and that can still have an impact on spring water use where we get those 5, 10 mil showers, which are all at surface level, so crown roots are critical, stratified nutrients such as phosphorus and copper, those sorts of things, they're all in the surface layer. And of course we have had reports of farmers just having trouble harvesting where they've got severe rhizo because those crown roots actually anchor the crop. So the whole thing can fall over if you've got no crown roots. We'll watch your research with interest, Blake. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Now, Andy, another thing we're doing in this paddock is a bit of a look at cropping to soil type. I understand you had some zones set up in this paddock earlier this year. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? We just did our normal seeding rate and fertiliser rates, and then we run some strips with higher seed, higher furt, and just higher furt with the normal seeding rate. Farmer practice in this paddock is 25 kilos of Commodus barley with 32 kilos of MAP and 30 kilos of urea. And the, uh, the treatments that are being tried are 40 kilos of barley and higher levels of fertiliser, 45 kilos of MAP and 45 kilos of urea. And we've got high seed, high furt, regular seed, high furt and farmer practice under testing here across a range of different soil types from the uh, sandy soils on the sand hill that sometimes have trouble with cover yep. uh, down to the, the mid slope and the and the heavier flats and that was all run across a paddock that was mapped by petrolaw using the em38 approach wasn't it yeah that's right was that urea put down the tube yeah it was all down the tube at, at the seeding time yep so we're interested in costs and benefits of those different levels of inputs but also impacts on ground cover going forward because we're yeah, certainly interested in helping farmers maintain cover after tougher years and drier springs as well as part of this project. Do many guys in this area run with vary rate at the moment? Probably not as much as we did. We used to use it a bit more. I don't know why we've gone away from it so much but there's a little bit out there. Not heaps at the moment I don't think. Yeah we're going to watch these test strips with great interest over the coming months and we'll just see in this particular year which has been going pretty well so far what approach turns out to be best whether those extra inputs are justified yeah it'll be interesting to see anyway if we yeah. can get the yield right yeah we certainly saw a difference in plant numbers when we came in and did plant counts in june but as the season's gone on and the plants have tilled up we're not seeing a hell of a lot of differences in head numbers at the moment but i guess the Proof will be when yield data comes in. That's right. I think it'll have to go through the header to see the yield. Thanks for hosting us and stay tuned. We look forward to seeing how things pan out during harvest. No worries. Now this must be Peter Bear. Thanks for joining us in the paddock. Yep. Um, what we've got here is a vary rate trial that Andy's been good enough to set up with us. Yep. Uh, we've got extra seed and extra furt. Extra furt but not extra seed and of course farmer practice. And we've got these test strips running across a paddock that has been zoned yep. using EM38 mapping. So we're just trying to figure out what the optimal level of input is on these soil types, I suppose, and see if it's going to respond to vary rate. Uh, have you seen much vary rate in your time? Yeah, there's been plenty done by more productive farmers, but like Andy commented before, there's probably been a bit of a phasing out, and I think that's a lot to do with the fact that with the variable rate in fertiliser where a lot of flats over numerous years got nothing. That's not so much come back to bite people, but has come back to realisation that they've actually got to start feeding. That's probably what's gone more flat rate again. So there still is, but I think 
the elevation in rates of nutrition particularly and seeding rates over vulnerable risers or vulnerable soil types will probably increase. So that's where I'll see it moving forward from here, from what it was probably the last five to ten years. Yeah, Andy was saying he's interested in vary rate nitrogen more so than P. Yep. Yep, 100% agree. And nitrogen predominantly, but also sulphur to marry up with it on weaker sands. We still see, as a rule, for those guys who particularly come into better rotations, still get value out of extra sulphur as well, compared to just straight in, in, in this area. Now in this area, lentils have been coming in over the last 10 years or so. Has that posed more problems for farmers keeping cover on country after a dry spring? I'd say any legume crop that's probably been grown, particularly, I'd say nearly more so to do with those where there's a grazing component during the season and obviously post-harvest if it's a field pea or lentil, etc., that's probably posed the biggest issue by far is the grazing component, understanding the risks associated with that. So lentils, yes, and because they're high value, probably as a rule a bit more suited across the region compared to chickpeas. Chickpeas have got a fit, but there's other implications around chickpeas being grown. They provide better ground cover, but lentils, yeah, become more vulnerable on sands, obviously, as we know, but because of their high value, there has been more and more of that, particularly the last five to seven years, I'd say, in this region. And can you just give us an overview of what we're seeing this year season-wise in this part of the world? Yeah, I'd say a lot of the season of what was seen has come down to spring last year and June this year, in my gut feel as to why we're seeing things where they are at the moment. One in a probably, a, Andy know better, probably one in a 40-year event last year between September and December, building subsoil under crops that obviously were being harvested, and then June being probably a, yeah, be a one in 15-year event probably or more how wet it was most guys had that 80 up to 100 mil in a month which is very rare so at the moment yield potentials would be average to well above for the majority i'd say we still need i would say one or two finishing rains to get full yield potential but at the moment yield potentials yeah good to exceptional so we've come off an exceptional june here peter um which of these different treatments do you think might win out this year I'd say this year, even with probably an average or just below average spring, the higher seeding rate, higher fert will definitely be in front. But I'd say in seven or eight years out of ten, in my opinion, for this region, we'd see those crops fall over relative to grain quality and yield compared to the lower seeding rate and traditional fert. And Andy, what decisions did you make around nitrogen fertiliser this year? We just put a, a lowish rate up front, I guess 30 kilos urea up front. This paddock we're standing in hasn't had any top dressing because the EM38 map virtually said it had enough nitrogen over most of the paddock. It would have been some hills that could have probably had some more. But we bought a bit, spread some paddocks, and then it was pretty hard to get, so we didn't bother trying to get any more. Yeah, and it had probably had a pretty handy vetch crop on it last year too, did it? Yeah, we harvested the vetch here last year, and it probably went about... a tonne and a half to the hectare what we harvested. So how much nitrogen do you reckon you got out of that Peter? Well it'd be a combination of the vetch crop and spring rain so the vetch crop could well have added 60 to 80 kilos of nitrogen I'd, I'd imagine with the, the bulk that would have been here to give one and a half tonne of grain but I'd say as much of that could well have come from mineralisation as well because rarely do we ever get whatever we got. 150 mil or more up to 200 mil of rain between September and November with warming soil temperatures to 
provide mineralisation. So that's rare. So there would have been a big bank sitting here to support this year's crop. And is Vetch a host for Rhizoctonia or not, Blake? Most things are a weak host for Rhizoctonia, but nonetheless, all of your pulse crops and canola tend to reduce the inoculum level over the over that season. So they will get knocked around a bit if there's a high level coming off, say, one or two cereal crops. You've got a really high inoculum load at the end of that, and so a vetch crop might get knocked around a little bit, but it will probably reduce the inoculum. But I think there's something to be said for having that big bulky biomass and that spring rain that's probably very suppressive of rhizoctonia so if they had a lot of vetch stubble here and that mineralization going on all of that soil biology is very suppressive to rhizo so that would have helped bring it all down over a wet spring last year all right thank you Peter, how are you seeing the farmer decision-making process evolve over the last 10 years? And are there any tools you reckon farmers should make more use of? I think the biggest thing is people getting their farming system set up with a rotation. So that helps relative to being able to prioritise decision-making around their highest uh, risk factors on the farm, I suppose, um, whether it be nitrogen fixation or whether it be grass weed control, etc., one big thing I don't know whether a lot of people have in the area and probably will increase over time is soil moisture probes potentially uh, around and, and I'm originally based on the Vic New South Wales border of far, far west New, New South Wales and for guys over there I'd say March soil moisture would be the biggest indicator for not so much having had set up, you know, their, their rotations would have been set up November, December, the year before, October, November, December, the year before, but around how they commit at that point onwards from March, for those guys particularly, but we get less as we move further into Victoria, going south, but March soil moisture is probably a big key indicator for me as to how proactive people move forward with their decision making around high risks. And Andy, what are some of the trickier decisions you're having to make in your farming career and are there any tools that have helped you make those difficult decisions around risks and rewards? Probably the biggest thing is just trying to have a good rotation, having legumes in it so we're not growing cereal on cereal very often. That's hopefully taken a lot of risk out just putting cereals on legumes so limit the amount of nitrogen you hope to have to put out. They're probably the biggest drivers that we've been using at the moment. Yeah, thanks very much, Andy, and thanks, Peter. That's fantastic. Andy, all credit to you. We're standing in a beautiful barley crop. Thanks for having us today. No worries. This project is supported by the Mallee Catchment Management Authority through funding from the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to hear more, like and subscribe to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. Catch you later.